the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are a rolling on a Tuesday. It is the 19th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. J.D. Vance is the Trump-endorsed candidate in this United States Senate GOP primary. And he will join me live for a one-on-one exclusive. We're going to talk about it all. How did the endorsement come about? Why does he think Donald Trump decided to endorse anybody in this race? And how did it become the one guy who has been so critical and negative of Donald Trump? Of all of the people in this race who were angling for the Trump endorsement, the one guy who got it is the one guy who was the harshest against the endorser. How does that happen? Beyond that, we're going to talk about uh, J.D. Vance's ideas and what does he really think he can get done as a freshman senator if he does indeed win this primary and defeat Tim Ryan and go to Washington, D.C. We're going to cover all of it, his criticisms of Trump, his uh, comments, his reversals, his, uh, you know, his um, uh, confessions, if you will. He has asked for absolution uh, for all of his past statements. And does it fly with the voters of Ohio? He's asking the voters of Ohio the same thing that Donald Trump is asking the Republican voters of Ohio, to set all of that aside and just look at the man now. Can you do that? Will you do that? Does this matter to you that Donald Trump has said, he's my guy? And do you believe Donald Trump believes that, quote, he is my guy, or is it just that he is the best positioned to beat Tim Ryan? And as Trump said in his um, in his letter of endorsement of J.D. Vance, it's all about winning, almost Charlie Sheen style there. It's all about winning. Might not be the best guy, but is the guy that can actually win this thing. So I'm going to ask J.D. Vance all of it. So an exclusive one-on-one is coming up at 935. You do not want to miss it. If you've got friends who are very concerned and interested in this race, tell them 
they do not want to miss this. So you want to make sure that you are here for that at 9.35. At 10.10 this morning, Peter Kersenow will react to what you hear and what he hears at 9.35 with J.D. Vance. And, of course, we will talk to Peter about a number of other important issues as well, including 80,000 crossers that were let loose into the interior of the United States in the month of March alone. This is beyond unsustainable. This is simply ridiculous. That doesn't count the number of gotaways, because they can't count them, because they got away. They don't even know how many really keep crossing this border, bringing untold amounts of drugs, doing untold amounts of damage in human trafficking, and so forth at our southern border. Peter Kirstenau is going to have thoughts on that coming up at 1010 as well. And then at 1035, we're going to pivot to John Stover from Ohio Value Voters, who is continuing to testify before the Board of Education in Columbus, the State Board of Education, about the use of of Info Ohio as a source or resource for Ohio public schools when Info Ohio has directions to uh, to um, access hardcore pornography right on their website. John Stover continues to sound the alarm, and uh, we'll see if the State of Ohio Board of Education is going to do anything about that. So all of that is coming today. J.D. Vance exclusively at uh, at 9.35, Peter Kersenow, at 1010, and then John Stover at 1035. So as you can imagine, we're going to be a little bit busy. But that's still, that's the beauty of having the third hour that we did about about a month ago. We've added that third hour, so there's still plenty of opportunity for you to be heard on everything that you hear on the program today and everything that you think about our top news items of the day. So with that, I welcome you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you right here to me. I cannot emphasize enough how much I want you to use the sound off button as well. It makes it much easier for me and much easier for you because you don't have to sit on hold for an extraordinary length of time waiting uh, for me to take your phone call. All you do is click the sound off button on the right side of the page and toward the upper right-hand corner. But go to the uh, sound off button there, click it, click put in your name and your email address, click record, say what you've got to say into your computer's microphone, click stop recording, and push send, and it comes right to me, and I will play those on the air, and I will react to those on the air, as you know, as I've been doing for the past few weeks. But I want more interaction that way, because again, it makes it easier on both of us, and you don't have to wait quite as long. All right, so calls or messages at alwaysright.us. I probably should tell you where that button is if you didn't know. It's alwaysright.us. That is the online companion to Always Right Radio. So make sure that you check that out. Now, before we get started with the news of the day, the good news of the day. As our faces have been freed by a federal judge when we travel, what do you say we celebrate freedom? What do you say we rise, patriots? Face your flag if you have one. I can't tell you the joy that I get in my, inside my own mind's eye right now as I'm picturing people in their living rooms, in their kitchens, wherever they may be, standing together. Even though they are alone, even though you're, you're, you're not near the other people who are doing this, but knowing in solidarity uh, how many people are standing right now and facing a flag or imagining one and putting their hand on their heart and joining me for our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I have uh, 
I have two flags now in my studio that I am able to look at uh, during this thing. You know, one of them I told you about came from a listener who delivered this to me just uh, about a week ago. I was blown away. It's 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 a it's a metal piece of wall art. It's a heavy metal. I don't know. I don't know if it's steel. It might be steel, but it is in the shape of a U.S. flag. It is cut out. Every star is punched out, stamped out, and then also stamped out in the stripes is the the pledge of allegiance in a stencil it's it's unbelievable it's beautiful it's gorgeous and it's hanging in my studio the other one that i have and i'm telling you this by the way because i love you for continuing to show me and tell me the story behind your own flags and people continue to send those to me and i love that uh eventually they will all be on display on a flag gallery uh on my on always us so here's my own just real quick i'm also staring one that is folded uh into a triangle it's not specifically a flag from one particular um, U.S. service member who lost his or her life. Um, it's, it's not that. It is essentially a testament to all of those who made the sacrifice during the Afghanistan and in the Iraq, uh, and the Iraq wars. This was delivered to me by an Army friend and listener of the show and several others who actually had this flag flying over the capital of capitals rather of Iraq and Afghanistan on the same day. This flag flew celebrating victory in Baghdad and celebrating victory in Kabul in the same day. And uh, they did this with a few different flags that they wanted to present to people that were important to them. And in, I guess it was simply for the support of the military that I offer on the air every day. Um, this flag that flew, and there's a beautiful certificate that goes with it. It sits right there in front of me, and it's uh, it's the one that I had been, and I will continue to as well as the one that was delivered to me, the one that I look at when we do the pledge every day. So I love those stories. Keep them coming to me if you would. I'll share, I'll share with you. You share with me. How does that sound? Let's share the news of the day. Let's share the top story of the day. Finally, a little bit of common sense. Finally, a little bit of science from a judge, a federal judge, a Trump-appointed judge, and that, of course, is what has the left go-wing ballistic. A federal judge in Florida, Catherine Kimball Mazel, ruled that, quote, the Biden mandate, talking about the Biden mandate by way of the CDC, that everyone has to wear masks on public uh, uh, transportation, in the airports, on the planes, on the trains, on the buses. She ruled that the mandate exceeded the CDC's statutory authority, improperly invoked the good cause exception to notice and comment rulemaking, and failed to adequately explain its decisions. As such, this is now null and void. The CDC grossly exceeded its power by strapping those muzzles across our faces for more than a year. Because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully in pursuit of, even in pursuit of desirable ends, the court declares unlawful and vacates the mask mandate, according to this federal judge. Biden first put that rule in place for planes, trains, ride-sharing vehicles, and other forms of transportation via an executive order just one day after assuming office in 2021. Since then, the agency has extended it four times. They justified their rule by claiming that masks blocked exhaled viruses (laughs) and that i'm chuckling because the the science has been in cloth masks and those surgical masks do not block exhaled viruses at all 
The only possible way that this could be considered justifiable would be if they demanded everyone use N95 masks or KN95 masks uh, in all of these locations. And, of course, they never did that. They never, and even those wouldn't be foolproof, but they'd be better. Scientists told us that this was just a, a lot of hocus, uh, 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 ho- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That it was hokey. How about that? And science has said this is not true, but this is what they claimed at the CDC. COVID-19 in the U.S. was so rampant that a 30-day comment period would be inappropriate. But as Mizell noted, the judge, the CDC's mask guidance was broad and allowed for flawed face coverings that don't stop viral spread. Exactly, because it was all about kabuki theater. It was all about virtue signaling. It was all about a show. It's a show. I use that a lot. And justice for all. Al Pacino may be his best work. She also noted at the time of the rules creation, COVID-19 case numbers in the U.S. were decreasing. The mask mandate's failure to provide notice and comment was not harmless error, one of the headers in the ruling noted. So congratulations and thank you to Federal Judge Mizell for having the, the wisdom and the common sense to do this. Now, also congratulations are due and in order uh, for the airlines who you can tell didn't want to keep doing this anyway. Now, we've played for you and shown you um, different examples of airlines that were using heavy hands to enforce the mandates. Um, and in fact, booting passengers if they wore masks that didn't, you know, that uh, conveyed a message they didn't like, such as the Let's Go Brandon mask and these kinds of things. I do not excuse any of them for that horrific behavior and treatment of passengers. In order to enforce the mandate, I understand they had to enforce the mandate so that they don't get uh, dinged by the uh, uh, by the FCC or excuse me, the FAA and the government. Uh, they don't want to be fined. Clearly, I understand that, but they didn't have to enforce things with the heavy hand that they did. But kudos to the airline executives now for immediately jumping on this. It's as if they were just waiting because they don't like it any more than you do. They don't like it that uh, their, their flight attendants and, ca- and, pa- and uh, uh, pilots and others uh, have to wear these things. That people inside the airport before they get on a plane have to wear these things. So the announcements came down very, very quickly yesterday. American Airlines, quote, In accordance with the Transportation Security Administration no longer enforcing the federal mask mandate, face masks will no longer be required for our customers and team members at U.S. airports and on domestic flights. By the way, they emphasize the domestic flights only because other countries may still require masks as you arrive at their airports. So if they, if you are flying internationally, that could be a game changer. But dropping it in the airports and on domestic flights. United says effective immediately masks are no longer required at United on domestic flights. Delta, effective immediately masks are optional for all airport employees. That's optional. Crew members and customers inside U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. Southwest, as a result of this development, effectively immediately, effective immediately, I think they meant to say, Southwest employees and customers will be able to choose whether they would like to wear a mask. And by the way, isn't that what we have always said? None of us who are mask, you know, I sometimes call us free facers. We're believers in freeing the face. Those of us who are free facers aren't going to mock those who wish to be covered by, by these things. It has never been that way. We don't look at them and say, take that off. No, 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 no. It's always been the other way around. The virtue signalers have always looked at us and said, put that thing on. What's the matter with you? Are you trying to kill people? You know, and you're sitting there and you're, 
uh, swimming in your antibody count and your T cell count because you've already had, uh, obtained natural immunity. You have nothing uh, whatsoever, no threat, pose no threat to anybody whatsoever, and they're going to scream at you. Or, even worse, they scream at the uh, the jabbed, the the triple jabbed, quadruple jabbed, and, and and they're still forced to wear the masks. And if they don't, they get yelled at. Why don't you have your mask on? This is all about choice. That's all we've ever said. If you want to wear five face masks and a face shield with a football helmet over that, go ahead. Do what you got to do. You do you, and let me do me. This is all we've been asking for. Alaska Airlines. Face masks have been like boarding passes for nearly two years. You couldn't fly without one. But as of today, masks are optional in airports and on board our aircraft effective immediately. JetBlue, in line with Monday's federal court ruling and Transportation Security Administration's guidance, mask wearing will now be optional on JetBlue. Spirit, optional. Frontier, to mask or not to mask. The choice is yours. Masks are now optional on domestic flights. It's every airline that I'm aware of is coming out and saying, we have all just been waiting for the government to do this. Or in this case, the court to do this. We didn't like it any more than you did. We were simply enforcing FAA laws at the direction of the President of the United States who made that ridiculous executive order mandating these things. So, and you recall, several CEOs and presidents of the airlines did the same thing. They have been publicly saying, we see the science, and our aircrafts and our cabins with the constant airflow is more uh, of a safe place in terms of not contracting an airborne virus than pretty much anywhere else in, you know, that you can imagine on the ground. They haven't wanted this for a long time. So now that a federal judge, a Trump-appointed judge, got this done, all of the airlines are doing everything they can to immediately free the face. And to all of them, I say... Can you dig it? Digging it in Huge story that broke. Uh, that story broke late yesterday. We're going to talk more about that with Kirsten now too coming up. But don't forget, right after the bottom of this hour, we're going to be talking with J.D. Vance, the Trump-endorsed Senate candidate in the uh, Ohio GOP primary. That's coming up at nine thirty-five. You stay right here on Always Right Radio. AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Nine twenty-eight on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for being with us. JD Vance going to be joining me for an exclusive one-on-one right after the bottom of the hour news. Ellen is in Rocky River. Wants to talk about JD Vance. Go ahead, Ellen. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Two my things uh, quickly. Number one, the only good thing Mitch McConnell did during the Trump administration was to move those federal judges through confirmation. So um, that's the only only reasonably decent thing he did. Um, as far as J.D. Vance is concerned, um, he was not my first choice. I'm not all that thrilled about the, the people on the bench, actually. Um, my only concern is um, making sure that Tim Ryan, whom I thought was a moderate Democrat until recently, is defeated. Um, so, you know, whoever gets, you know, um, the not, whoever wins the primary, I'll support. I still have not made up my mind. Um, but I guess if I could talk to J.D. Vance, and I'll make this quick because I know you have time constraints. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that has just infuriated me over the course of my life is the condescension and the patronizing that we get from the progressive left. They really believe that they're the best and the brightest, uniquely positioned to tell the, us, the serfs, 
the benighted masses how to order and, and live our lives. Um, it, they, they're insulting. Um, they're, 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 um, they, they just have an awful opinion of the average American citizen. And I guess the irony here is if they had any talent, anything to offer, they wouldn't be uh, career politicians. They would be successful in the private sector. They've, what have they, they have accomplished nothing. They have, they've never created a good or a service. They've never established a business. They've never met a payroll. What they have done is they have nursed at the nipple of the taxpayer. And I have just, I have just run out of um, any patience for them anymore. I just cannot stand the way they, um, they, they speak to and their view of the average American. Well, I'll tell you what, Ellen, I think you make some very good points, and I think a lot of us are sick and tired of that as well, and that's why we're moving to do as much as we can to remove Democrats and rhinos who do not actually care about Americans, who do not actually care about liberty, from power in November. J.D. Vance joins me after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer 9:35. we continue on this tuesday morning thanks so much for being with us on always right radio don't forget to check out the companion website at alwayswrite.us. let's dive right into it now i've been looking forward to this ever since i heard the announcement late last week that president trump was going to make an endorsement in the Ohio GOP primary race for the Senate seat currently held by Rob Portman, and indeed he did, he chose J.D. Vance as his guy to uh, try to pick up, or actually retain this red seat in the United States Senate coming up in November. And J.D. Vance joins us now for an exclusive conversation as to how and why and what this means going forward. J.D., thank you for coming on. Good morning. Thanks, Bob. Good morning to you. Congratulations on the endorsement, first and foremost. How does it feel to have the support of the former president? That's great. Yeah, obviously a huge boost to us in this race down the final stretch. Uh, the president called me. I was actually having a, a milkshake with my kid uh, on Friday evening when he when he called me and told me he was going to endorse me. So very exciting. And uh, you know, I think, as, as you know, Bob, given the attacks that have been against me for things I, I criticized the president over six years ago, uh, it's it's good to have the president coming in and saying, "Look, I, I trust this guy. I support this guy, and he's the guy for my agenda." So it's it's very helpful. Uh, but we're still going to have to work as hard as we can over the next two weeks to actually earn the support of voters all across the state. And no question about that. And obviously, we're gonna we're gonna start there because we have to. I mean, I don't think anybody who has heard this endorsement is thinking, "Does the president trust JD Vance most on immigration? Does he trust him most on China?" Uh, people are saying, "Wait a minute, President Trump forgave JD Vance for all of those things." So we have to hit this, and then we'll talk about policy. Far sure. away, the biggest talking point here is is uh, your past comments about him. So you said you got a phone call while you're having a milkshake with your kids, which is. A great story, by the way. But tell me first, when did you meet with President Trump to discuss his endorsement? And secondly, J.D., did he ever ask you directly, man-to-man and face-to-face, why you said the things about him you did and uh, and about his supporters? And what did you say in return to that? Well, 100% he did. Um, you know, the, the first time, and really the only time I actually ever asked for the president's support was probably, you know, a year or so, maybe a year and a half or so ago, um, when when I first met uh, with him talking about the race, I hadn't yet declared my candidacy yet. I think it was right after Portman had retired, and I said, "Sir, you know, I, I want your support in this race, but most importantly, I want to earn it. 
I want to actually see, I want you to see how I perform, uh, the things that I do, how I conduct myself on the campaign trail. Uh, I'm not going to beg for it, uh, but I really want it. And I think that once you see me out there, you're going to think I'm the best guy. And of course he asked me, um, you know, I, I've had a number of conversations with the president over the past several years. Um, he, he, he knows that I was a critic of his in 2016. Uh, it comes up always, you know, usually as, as kind of a, a gentle him ribbing, you know, JD, you're, you're good, but, uh, you weren't always with me. And I, and I think that, you know, the president knows a lot of people, I think, who weren't with him, who became converts to the cause for various reasons. And of course we can talk about that. Uh, but yeah, he absolutely asked me about it. And I said, look, sir, uh, I was wrong. I'm man enough to admit that I was wrong. I think everybody, you know, should be willing to change their mind when the facts change. And for me, Bob, what's always been most important, uh, the policy matters. I think he was a great president on policy. Uh, we can talk about that stuff. But, but to me, really, the corruption that Trump revealed in our country uh, is, is something I was blind to five, six years ago. Uh, I'm not blind to it anymore because he was president. Uh, I've never seen somebody who the powerful institutions in our country, from the, the media, the big tech companies, uh, our bureaucracy, the FBI, I've never seen someone who they've tried to destroy more. And I started to think to myself, look, if they're going after this guy so hard, it suggests, one, there's a profound brokenness in, in the powerful people in our country, but two, it suggests that there's something real about this. There's something real about this movement, because if there wasn't, they wouldn't waste time trying to destroy him. So I, I think, you know, I've had that conversation with the president, obviously with a lot of voters, um, and I'm sure I'll continue to have that conversation because mm -hmm. it's something they hit me with all the time. Uh, but look, that's politics, and part of politics is actually explaining who you are, what you think, and what you believe about issues, so I don't complain about it. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I've got a few more tough questions for you on it that just have to be asked. Um, I've read on the air, either with you on or not, and in both cases, um, some of your past comments, uh, and you've, you've addressed them specifically. And, J.D., this is one that, you know, the Internet is just always churning up new stuff, and this one is the first time I've seen this was yesterday. This was from a 2016 tweet, and I want to read just the last half of it where you wrote, Trump is the fruit of the party's collective neglect. I go back and forth between thinking Trump is a cynical a-hole, like Nixon, who wouldn't be that bad and might even prove useful, or that he's America's Hitler. How's that for discouraging? J.D., it's, it's one thing to say I was disagreed with him on his policy, I disagreed with him on this, that, or the other thing then, and I have since you know, uh, evolved my thinking, and I have repented for those things, and I, and I didn't mean those things. But the Hitler narrative is a little tougher to walk back, in my opinion. That's a hard thing to say about somebody. Um, can you give me anything on that? Well, I think repentance is the wrong way to think about it, Bob. I, I think, look, uh, you know, you could admit that you're wrong about something uh, and just be, you know, admit that, right? Admit that you change your mind. I think people are going to change their mind from time to time. What I think is so interesting about this is, you know, the left constantly drags up stuff that I said about Trump seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago, and tries to beat me over the head with it. I've got the president's endorsement. Uh, I've talked with the president about a lot of this stuff. Frankly, things that I said publicly uh, are, are out there and are worse than some of the things that I said privately. Uh, so I, I've had plenty of conversations with the president about this, and I think if he trusts me to put forward his agenda and he thinks I'm the guy who actually believes this stuff and can deliver on this stuff, uh, I think ultimately that is what is most important. And the left, look, they're going to bring this stuff up, Bob, for the rest of my life. Right. They're always going to bring up the fact that I had a very public conversion on probably the most important political figure of my lifetime. Uh, that is part of, you know, the game in politics these days. 
but I'm not going to hide from the fact that I changed my mind, and I'm not going to I'm not going to you know I'm not going to apologize for it. At the end of the day, I was wrong. The president accepts it. I think a lot of voters accept it, and that's that. You know, um, that's that's a great answer, um, and I and I can understand and accept that. I, I wonder, did the when you said that you did talk face to face with him about some of these things, did he get specific? Like, did he mention the Hitler reference, or did he just say in general, "Hey, I know you haven't always said great things about me." What was that? <laughs> Uh, Bob, if you've ever spoken to the president, I know you have. Uh, he has an extraordinary memory. Uh, he remembers very specific things. And, I mean, things, frankly, that I forgot, and they were my own words. And, and so, no, I, I, I don't think the president is at all unaware of, of things that I've criticized him on about. Uh, but, but, again, you know, as, as he said to me, some of his closest allies were not, you know, people like Steve Cortez, who I know you've talked to, yeah. Uh, were not people who initially believed in him, were not even people who got it at the beginning, uh, but they came around for, for different reasons. Obviously, different people have different motivations. And I, and I think that he's seen that some of, you know, some of his worst allies are people who were there for him from the beginning, who said nice things about him publicly, but stabbed him in the back privately. Some of his best allies were actual converts, like me. So I think that, you know, again, it, it's, it's about, obviously, the voters, and it's about the president's endorsement and trust. I think we've got both of those things. I think we're going to win the voters. I think we've already won the president's endorsement. Uh, and, and, of course, that'll be helpful with a lot of voters, too. We are talking exclusively with J.D. Vance this morning. Of course, we've talked to J.D. several times, as well as all of the other candidates in the uh, Ohio GOP primary for the Senate seat held by Rob Portman. But now this is the first time with J.D. as the Trump-endorsed candidate. J.D., this next one, and, and possibly the last one, depending on what you say, is a little tougher because it's one thing to say bad things about Donald Trump then uh, and then you know evolve your thinking over it and, and be converted, as you say, and come around. It's another thing when you're talking about his supporters. And the line in 2016 that I know rankles a lot of conservatives, and, and this isn't stuff that's dug up by the left, this is dug up by people on the right, because it was said about his base, quote, there is definitely an element of Donald Trump's support that has its basis in racism, xenophobia. But a lot of these folks are just really hardworking people who are struggling in really important ways. Um that's a problem for me, because now you're not just ripping Trump because you didn't like Trump at the beginning, as a whole lot of people didn't, but you're ripping his supporters and his voters. Have you had a change of heart on his supporters, the people that you need uh, to support you right now when, when it comes to the, there's an element of them that are racist and xenophobic people? Well, Bob, look, I, I've always defended the president's supporters. You and I disagree on this, because I think if you read the full quote in what I said, you know, I'm responding to a question, and here's how the question would always work. Now, I was not, again, I'm not going to pretend I was a Trump guy in 2016, because I wasn't. But here's how the media would always do this. They would always ask me this question, and they'd put some guy at a Trump rally who was, you know, yelling the N-word at a reporter or, you know, saying something anti-Semitic. And they'd always say, well, look, you know, here's this guy here. He's at a Trump rally. Isn't this about racism? It's not about, you know, the terrible condition of the country or the economics or the culture or anything else. And what I always say is like, look, yeah, obviously that guy is a racist. Yes, there are certainly some people who are voting for Donald Trump who voted for Barack Obama, voted for any candidate who are bad people. But most of his supporters are good people. Bob, my, my dad was one of the guys who loved Trump from the minute he came down the escalator. My dad is not a racist man, not even a little bit. And so I, I think, you know, certainly one of the things I've changed my mind on is that the media uses accusations of racism to silence voters. Uh, I certainly didn't realize that was the game that they were playing. And so what I, you know, what I should have said is, look, 
it's ridiculous for you to look at these this one guy and try to project that one guy onto the entire movement. I should have been more aggressive about it, but if I change my mind, I, I think for me to change my mind, I'd have to acknowledge that I think that Trump, or I thought that Trump's voters in 2016 were, were majority bad people. I never thought that, Bob, and I always defended them. And if you look at some of the things that were said about me in 2016, it's like, yeah, J.D. doesn't like Donald Trump. I'm talking about by the mainstream press. Yeah, J.D. doesn't like Trump, but J.D., is way too generous. He's way too nice to his supporters because his supporters are bad people. So I, I think if you really look at the totality of what I said, at the way the media attacked me for defending the Trump base, even if I wasn't on board with Trump personally, I think it's pretty clear where I stood on that stuff. And I still, to this day, think the gross majority of Trump supporters are good people and they deserve to have good representation. What I've changed my mind on is Trump himself, not on his supporters. J.D. Vance is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. It's always right radio. Last one. Well, this isn't even about your comments anymore. It's just about you as a conservative Republican candidate or a rhino candidate. Um, some critics of this endorsement over the weekend compared this uh, endorsement to the one of Dr. Oz, Memon Oz, in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz is notorious for not just six-year-old, but really over the last 20 years and continuing maybe until he declared as a candidate in the Republican primary in Pennsylvania, things that are just far, far left, whether it's trans issues, whether it's abortion issues. Um, he is a very, very far left guy. At least he has portrayed himself that way on his television show for years. Donald Trump somehow endorsed him. And then people said, and then he endorsed J.D. Vance, too, who's not a real conservative. He was, you know, the, you know, criticizing him and so on and so forth, and he's a rhino. Um, any problem with the timing of this, and, and how do you respond to those comparisons? Well, one, I think the comparisons don't make a ton of sense because, yeah, I changed my mind on Trump, but I've been pro-life my whole life. I've never been left-wing or even moderate on the trans issue. I think it's, frankly, disgusting what we're doing, uh, pressuring the mutilation of children in this country, which is what we're doing. Uh, on, on, on the full spectrum of conservative issues, I think that I've been right there uh, on, on the important ones, and I, and I always have been, and I always will be. Now, on the Dr. Oz thing, like in particular, look, the timing is the timing. I wanted the president's support. As I told you the last time we spoke, Bob, I thought he would stay neutral or he would endorse me. I was very happy he chose the latter. Um, you know, I think he endorsed me when he did is because he looked at the calendar and said, look, this race is coming down to the wire. I've got to pick a guy. And I think he decided that that, that that is my guess on on why he ultimately decided to move forward in our race. You know, one thing I'll say on, on Dr. Oz is, look, I'm never going to defend Dr. Oz as a true conservative. Um, but I will say that if you look at the Pennsylvania race, there aren't exactly a lot of good options. Um, so I, I, it's not that Dr. Oz is a perfect conservative. It's that if you look at all the, the options, you know, Dave McCormick in Pennsylvania, some of the other guys running, I don't think any of them look like true conservatives. My guess is that's, I, having never spoken with the president about that endorsement, my guess is he was thinking, you know, who's ultimately going to be the best out of a group of candidates who isn't perfect? And that's why he chose Dr. Oz. Yeah, and one would think, though, that President Trump, with all of his, you know, business acumen and political acumen, would understand that in the case where there's not a clear-cut conservative, you don't endorse in that race. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> you just hope the Republican wins in the general, but whatever happens, happens. But the fact that he enthusiastically supported a guy who has been enthusiastically leftist is is troubling to uh, to a lot of people, myself included. Um, let me ask you this also about your his decision to endorse you. You're a very good debater. I can, I've told you this after some of the debates we've spoken before. You, you speak well on stage. You have a command of the clock when you need to make your points in short order. You present like a very polished candidate. 
How much of that do you think went into this endorsement, that you stand the best chance against Tim Ryan? In fact, I think that was in the letter. He said he would destroy the Democrat in the debate uh, when you're on stage. And furthermore, J.D., do debate performances necessarily translate into sound policy and decision-making when in office? Well, I think it's a big part of why Trump decided to endorse me. But it's not just about you know, whether debates translate into sound policy. It's whether you actually have a command of the issues enough to go toe-to-toe with the Democrats against this stuff. That's not just an electoral thing. You know, you've got to go toe-to-toe against Tim Ryan and win the seat. But it's also you've got to go toe-to-toe against the Democrats in Washington if you actually win. So I, I think actually having a command of the issues matters. I mean, what, what people always you – know, this is something the media never gives Trump credit on. You always hear this thing. He's tough. He's tough. He's tough. Well, of course he's tough. But he's also smart. He cares about policy. He cares about substance. And I think one of the things that he saw is a lot of these guys up there repeating the talking points that their consultants gave them, not actually knowing why they believed the things that they believed, not actually have any substance behind it. Okay, so nobody likes big tech. Who actually has an idea for how to break up the big tech monopolies in this country? Or Josh Mandel, of course, one of the main candidates that I'm running against. Josh Mandel has been calling those of us who are asking for restraint in Russia and Ukraine, as President Trump has, uh, he's been calling us Putin stooges, which is, by the way, the same slander that the left has used against Donald Trump for four or five years and Donald Trump's supporters. So I think it's, it's one thing to say you present well. It's another thing to say you have an actual command of the substance. And I think that's what Trump saw in my debate performances. And, yeah, I think it was a big reason why he ultimately supported me. I'll say this to you, Bob. I hate the way that politics is done in this country, where you do 30-second TV commercials, but you never actually talk to voters. Uh, you know I've done more town halls than anybody else, but Newsmax tomorrow offered to host a debate with the other Republican candidates. I'm the only person who said, sure, I'll go and do this. Obviously, the schedule is busy, but I think it's important for the candidates to actually go and talk to the voters. Every other candidate was too cowardly to participate in that debate, so now it's turned into a town hall. It's just a J.D. Vance town hall in Newsmax uh, tomorrow because I'm the only person who agreed to it. Like, what does that say about these guys that they're unwilling to go and talk to the candidates or sorry, talk to the other candidates, but also talk to the voters about the substantive things? I, I think that suggests something wrong with the other campaigns, that they're terrified to talk about the substance. Um, I won't characterize it that way, but I do agree with you. I think everybody who is uh, given an opportunity to debate, who wants to win an office, should debate. I totally agree. I'm very frustrated that Mike DeWine won't debate Jim Renacci uh, in the gubernatorial race. I'm very frustrated that uh, there won't be a debate in the um, congressional race with Max Miller and Jonah Schultz and and others as well. So I I agree with that part. People should do that. Let me ask you about money. Um, Sure. Twice in the letter of endorsement, President Trump referenced the money. Quote, the Democrats will be spending many millions of dollars, but they have a defective candidate. In the third paragraph, uh, I think J.D. is most likely to take out the weak but dangerous Democrat opponent. Dangerous because they will have so much money to spend. The, the reference there, to me anyway, says that J.D. will be able to match them dollar for dollar, that money is a big issue in this. Now, a lot of your opponents in this primary are, you know, really grassroots-oriented in terms of where they get their money. Mike Gibbons' case, he's self-funding because of his success in business. Your money is coming from some different places, from Super PACs, from Peter Thiel, and other places. Um, How much of that do you think played a role in President Trump's decision to pick you, that you will have essentially unlimited resources from some big tech folks uh, in a a world that you criticize and condemn, uh, that that's where most of your money is coming from? 
Well, Bob, first of all, you're talking about Peter Thiel, who's much different from big tech writ large, right? This is the guy who spoke on Trump's behalf at the RNC convention, who nearly had his business destroyed because he had the courage to do so, and has been sounding the alarm about big tech for a long time. So, yes, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of support from Peter Thiel. Uh, I'm proud of that. I don't think that's a bad thing. It'd be another thing if, you know, if, if Eric Schmidt uh, and Mark Zuckerberg were writing me multi-million dollar checks, but I'm actually being supported by the guy who's really hard on big tech. And by the way, a lot of the other candidates, including Mandel, begged Peter for support and then got mad when they didn't get it. Uh, so that's, that's number one. Number two is I actually have an incredible small dollar fundraising base. Uh, not just, you know, people say it's, it's JD has a national fundraising base. Well, look at the number of supporters that we've gotten from the state of Ohio. People are writing us, you know, 25, 50, $100 checks. We have a great small dollar fundraising operation in the state of Ohio. Yes, we've gotten some big Peter Thiel, but we've also got a lot of support from grassroots in Ohio. And and, then, and the final point on that, Bob, is we're the only candidate who does nonstop grassroots events. If you look at the number of times I get out there, I don't script them. I don't choose to ask the questions. We just put ourselves in front of voters and say, ask me any question that's on your mind. We've done over 50 of those just in the last two and a half months. I don't think any candidate can compare to the, the amount of grassroots engagement we've been we've been doing the past, uh, the past couple of months. Because, again, I think that's important. I think people who want the vote of those in the state of Ohio or anywhere else, they should actually be able to get out there and ask, or sorry, answer tough questions. Uh, we've been, we've been doing that. So I'm proud of the grassroots support we have. I don't know that money factored into Trump's endorsement decision. I, I mean, the, look, the Democrats are much better funded than Republicans. It's one of the facts of life in Republican politics in 2022. Uh, we're certainly going to be able to raise the money to compete against Tim Ryan. Uh, but but I would be surprised if Trump was thinking about money when he decided to make the endorsement. I think he was thinking about who can beat Tim Ryan and who actually believes in his agenda, doesn't just repeat the talking points of America first, but actually buys into the agenda. We've got just a couple minutes left with J.D. Vance, the Trump-endorsed candidate in the Senate GOP uh, primary race. J.D., what's your opinion of uh, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell? Should he continue to lead the GOP in the Senate if the Republicans take it back? You know, I'd, I'd love to vote for, you know, I've been endorsed by Josh Hawley. This is another thing I, I try to point out, Bob, is I've been endorsed by Josh Hawley, by Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, got Tucker Carlson support. Like, the people who are worried about where I am on the conservative issues, I've got some of the best fighters in Washington, D.C. and across the country uh, behind me in the campaign. So uh, I think that's, that's a good signal. Now, on, 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 on Mitch McConnell in particular, you know, Josh Hawley endorsed me. I'd love to vote for Josh Hawley for majority leader. Uh, in 2022. But at the end of the day, these people have to run for the spot. Uh, one of the things I've realized about the operation of the Senate is that it's pretty broken. Like it used to be a place 10 years ago where, or at least 20 years ago, where a junior senator could bring a bill up for debate and up for vote. Uh, that apparently isn't true anymore because of both leadership in the Republican and the Democratic sides. Uh, so look, at the end of the day, uh, I've, I've been the only candidate in the race, Bob, who's been willing to criticize leadership on some of the important issues that have come up in the last couple of years. They ask these other guys what they think about leadership, and they all run and hide. But who you vote for is partially contingent on who runs. So if it's Mitch McConnell versus Mitt Romney, right, that's a different conversation than if it's Mitch McConnell versus Josh Hawley. We just have to see what actually happens. You know what? I'm glad you brought up his name, because your critics, maybe supporters of some of the other candidates in the race, have called you Mitt Vance or J.D. Romney. They really see a comparison. Again, these are the people who say he's a rhino, he's not a true conservative. What's your opinion of Mitt Romney? Well, look, I mean, 
I, I mean, I voted for him in 2012 because he was better than Barack Obama. Uh, but he's been a huge disappointment. Um, at the end of the day, the the guy, I mean, the, the thing that he's done that's really profoundly bad is that he just doesn't realize what time it is. Um, we've all, again, you know, I'm a little, like, like I said, I'm a latecomer to this party on Trump, but we've all had a moment where we realize that the country's in very dire straits. So this is a guy who voted for the Democrats' judicial nomination uh, to the Supreme Court, Justice Brown, and he voted against her a year ago. And the only thing that he learned from when he voted against her to when he voted for her is that she's soft on child pedophiles. Well, why why did that motivate a vote for this woman? So I, I just think he's a pretty weak Republican. I think he doesn't realize what time it is. And un- unfortunately, like he's he's a guy in the mold of the Chamber of Commerce um, nationally. And it's one of the reasons why, unlike every other candidate in this race, Bob, I didn't go to Steve Stivers and bend the knee because I think the Chamber of Commerce as an organization is corrupt. Uh, the leadership is corrupt. Of course, the membership has a lot of great small businesses. Uh, but Mitt Romney's a Chamber of Commerce Republican. That's not who I am. That's not who I'm going to be. J.D., last question. I did want to ask you what your top three priorities in Washington would be if you do win this primary and then you do beat Tim Ryan. But my clock says I can only ask you about one that I think is probably in your top three. Because your ads on TV say how personal it is for you to stop the flow of drugs across the border. We all know your family situation. Sure. We know you, you saw the movie or read the book. Um what can one freshman senator do to stop the flow of drugs and the extraordinary traffic across the border, especially during the Biden administration? Your ads say, I'll stop it. How are you going to stop it? Use leverage, Bob. This is the thing that people, you know, we have to realize. Biden needs money to do all the things that he's doing. We have constant debt ceiling negotiations in the Senate, maybe every six months, every nine months, every year. The thing Republicans have to do is get something out of the negotiation. This is the, again, I've criticized Republican leadership in the Senate for this because they roll over the debt negotiation limits without getting anything in return. We can say to the Biden administration, you're not going to get another dime for your priorities unless you take care of the southern border. That's a fight that we need to have. We need to take it to the American people. We need people who are actually going to advocate for it and not just, again, repeat the talking points to do that. But, but yes, you can do things as an individual senator to force a, a difficult conversation uh, to force the Biden folks to actually do something on this issue. And by the way, after we clean their clock in 2022, I think we're going to have even more leverage to do that so long as we have Republicans who are willing to use it. J.D. Vance, uh, GOP Senate candidate. He's in the May 3rd primary. He has surged uh, toward the top of the polls, if not maybe in a two- or a three-way, a three-way tie for that. And now he's got the... Uh, the wind of a Trump endorsement uh, in his sales as he uh, tries to become the nominee for the Republican Party from the state of Ohio. J.D., uh, tough questions. Uh, They have to be asked. They have to be discussed at length, I think, really, before anybody can really get a real handle on this whole thing. So thank you for being willing to come on and do it and answer those questions. You do it repeatedly, I know. Uh, And uh, I really appreciate it, and hopefully the voters will be able to make up their minds with those responses. Thanks, Bob. Take care, man. Thank you, J.D. J.D. Vance. I've talked to him many times on the air, just like I've talked to Josh. I've talked to Mike Gibbons many times. I've talked to Matt Dolan, I think, a couple of times. Jane Timken only once, but that's by her choice and his choice. I always offer equal time to these candidates uh, who want it. Uh, and all they got to do is reach out and get it. But, J.D., it's the first time I've talked to him as the Trump-endorsed candidate. He answered the questions on Hitler. He answered the question about calling the supporters or referencing some of the supporters of Trump as racist. He answered the questions about uh, Trump's actual endorsement and the reasons thereof, differences between himself and Dr. Mehmet Oz. I think we covered most of it. Now, 
all that's left is for you to decide what you're going to do with it. How does it make you feel about the Trump-endorsed candidate, and does it change your vote at all? Peter Kersenow will react to it, because I know he was listening to it, coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two, underway now, 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. And always right radio. Thanks again to J.D. Vance, the Trump-endorsed candidate, uh, for coming on for the first time in, ex- in an exclusive to answer the, the, the hard questions. I mean, um, you know, th- that's all we can do, I think, at this point in time. Everybody has known, and I've interviewed J.D., I want to say, a half a dozen times in the last three months, maybe. Uh, just, about, just about the same amount as I've interviewed uh, Josh, Van- uh, Josh Mandel and, uh, and Mike Gibbons. Less so Matt Dolan and Jane Timken. They, of course, can request and receive equal time anytime they want. Um, but I don't know that they necessarily enjoy their visits because uh, the questions don't exactly always go their way. J.D. has answered these tough questions from me for, like I said, at least the last three months um, and maybe beyond. And they're always hard questions about his past comments about Trump. But now that Trump has endorsed him, they just take on a new, they take on a new meaning. They take on new significance. And calling Trump or comparing Trump to Hitler and comparing Trump voters and supporters to racists. Um, you know, talking about how uh, there is an element of racism and xenophobia in the Trump support base. All of these things, and you can go back over and over and over again and say, well, I, I was converted by his policies and the job that he did as president. That's fine. I'm glad people are willing to, uh, to change their minds when the circumstances and situation dictates that they must. You know, when the facts change, uh, your analysis must change as well. So I'm, I'm very glad about that. But is it enough for true conservatives, particularly those who feel like he is only saying these things because that's what it takes to get the Trump endorsement and get Trump voters to support him? Is it authentic? Is it real? Is it sincere? That's the question. And that's why I try to ask the questions different ways each time I talk to him uh, to really kind of get to, you know, what is the level of sincerity? What is the level of true uh, belief in, in what he is saying versus what do you have to say to win a primary fight? Uh, against a bunch of other very strong conservative candidates. What do you have to say? Is he saying what he believes, or is he saying what needs to be said? Those are questions only you can answer before you go and cast your vote on May 3rd, or earlier, because you can do it right now. Let's bring in our good friend Peter Kersenow, as we do it each each and every Tuesday at this hour. Peter Kersenow is a best-selling author. He is a uh, columnist. He is a sometime law professor. He hosts the Kersenow Report. He is a lawyer, and he is the longest-serving commissioner on the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing great, my friend. I'm doing great. So, uh, Pete, I I, uh, I understand you got to hear about the last half of the interview. I uh, I was hoping you'd be, be able, I know you're a busy man, to hear the entire thing. But from what you did hear, Peter, um, what is your takeaway on the J.D. Vance endorsement from Donald Trump? Uh, do you do you buy what Trump is selling? Do you buy what J.D. just sold me? <laughs> Those are two excellent questions, and uh, I, I buy what Trump is selling. Trump has a um, 
a really peculiar political instinct. By peculiar, I don't mean bad. I mean, he's able to drill down on things better than almost anybody I've ever seen, who is, you know, he's been president, so you can't say he's not a professional politician, but he hadn't been a professional politician. Um, what I heard from J.D. Vance, by the way, I think that Ohio voters are blessed by a surfeit of excellent candidates. I think you can't go wrong with uh, Mike Gibbons, with uh, Josh Mandel, or J.D. Vance. Uh, I really don't know the others, uh, but I do know uh, Josh and Mike, and they're excellent folks. You know, um, it's it's an amazing thing that we've got such a uh, such a, an abundance of riches. Uh, I didn't know uh, J.D. Vance other than, you know, what I saw from him on the campaign trail or on Tucker's show. And, of course, as any conservative, especially those who listen to your show, because I know, you know, what kind of folks we are, we're very concerned about his comments related to Trump. Now, uh, you and I have discussed this a million times. I'd say 40% of eventual Trump voters had a road to Damascus moment. Many of us were opposed to Trump during the primaries. I was, and we've discussed this. I was appalled by Donald Trump during the primaries. I didn't know much about him other than what I had seen in debates, and it was really, you know, he was just so different than any politician that I was kind of aghast. Um, That road to Damascus was a very short one, because Right after the primaries were over with, you know, I was a troop cruise guy. I became a not so much a Trump guy, but a, a non-Clinton person. So I'd vote for anybody as opposed to Hillary Clinton. A nominee but then guy, I had, whoever got the nomination, right? Precisely right. <laughs> yeah. But then, like a lot of other folks, we became the big-time Trump supporters. And that's why it's so important now, because of Trump and what he revealed himself to be, in my estimation, uh, the best president of my lifetime by far, uh, that we became such strong supporters of Donald Trump and much of what he stood for. And, you know, we, we rebuked those who would lie about him and were tepid about him because we saw this as, you know, the, the, the essayist. H.O. Mencken once said, words to the effect, let me see if I get the words right. He goes, there comes a time when every normal man must be tempted at times to spit it on his hands, hoist the black flag, and begin slitting throats. Okay? Um, we recognized this is such time. The time of the Romneys and, and the other kind of soft Republicans was over with a long time ago. In fact, expired long before Romney and the others ever ran for office. But we understood we were in a crisis moment and we needed a fighter and Trump was the guy. So uh, Trump to endorse J.D. Vance is, is big time, obviously. That's, that's gigantic. It puzzled me because, again, the, uh, it, it took... J.D. Vance a little bit longer uh, than many of us to come to the conclusion that Donald Trump was the guy. Uh, but, you know, that happens. Um, so I'm not going to fault him for that. Everything I heard from J.D. Vance says he's a conservative. I've, um, you know, I know a little bit about his history. I uh, actually uh, read uh, good portions of the book. Didn't read the whole thing because I've got <laughs> a lot of things on my plate, but I, I read good portions of Hillbilly Elegy. And I've seen him on, you know, Tucker's show, of course. And that's another endorsement right there. I mean, Tucker loves the guy, and Tucker is not unerring. Uh, but Trump and Tucker have a pretty good instinct for what ails America today and the urgency that we face in rectifying things. And if J.D. Vance appreciates that, that's an important thing. And apparently Trump, we know that Trump is a great vote counter, and he's very utilitarian, all right? Um, And he's 
incredibly magnanimous, too. That's one other thing his critics don't get. He gets abuse like no other politicians, politician I've ever seen, but if he recognizes talent and a good person, he's going to call it out. Now, I am, one thing that's a negative is, in terms of endorsements, is I'm completely perplexed about the uh, Oz endorsement. Yeah, me too. Uh, that one just that one blows me away. Um, but nonetheless, with respect to almost everything else he's done, he's recognized the person who is a conservative in a race. And we, again, we're blessed to have you know, Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel as, as true conservatives. I don't think we can go wrong. And I think what um, Trump has done is probably with the advice of Don Jr., who I understand uh, is uh, and has been a J.D. Vance supporter, He's decided, okay, you know, using the old William F. Buckley formulation, who's the most conservative candidate who can win, mm-hmm. conservative candidate who can win, um, decided that J.D. Vance is that guy. Um, you know, whether he's right or wrong, I don't know, uh, but he's made that determination. It's a big boost for J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is right about the border. For me, the two critical issues, immediate issues right now, not necessarily long-term most immediate, most important, but clearly among them, but right now it's immigration and uh, crime. Um, I think those things have to get under control, followed very closely by inflation. And he gets it. You know, he's a, he understands it. He's a very smart guy. If you read Hillbilly Elegy and the way he's grown up, I mean, this is a guy, uh, again, there's no affirmative action for guys from trailer parks. And I'm, I'm not saying he came from a trailer park, but he came from Appalachia. He truly did. Um, and he goes to Yale Law School. That is very, very rare. He's a bright guy. You read his book and it comes across very clearly. And I liked his answer to, uh, you know, I love Josh Mandel, but I liked his answer to Josh Mandel when there was that conflagration about, you know, military service with, you know, Mike Gibbons. And J.D. Vance said, hey, wait a minute, you know, I don't like the way you are using your military service here. Uh, There comes a time when, you know, you have to kind of, you know, the folks that I know in my family, for example, have been in the military, they're very quiet about it, you know, and everyone's different. But nonetheless, at some point, you know, know, I just kind of liked what J.D. had to say there. But um, uh, I think he scored big points there. I, I commented on that after it happened. That J.D. is very smart. Like I told him today, and he's a very good debater. He knows how to capture a moment. He knows how to present very, very well. And I thought he used that uh, flare-up between Gibbons and uh, and Mandel very effectively because I agree with him. And I told Josh the same thing. I said, you are. You're exploiting your military service when you answer every question with two tours, two tours, two tours. That's, that, that's not the question. The question <clears throat> is about your private sector experience uh, or lack thereof. You can't say two tours, two tours, and then say he claims my my military experience has no value i thought that was very wrong and i think the guy who came out ahead of that wasn't mike gibbons it was jd vance he played it well it's the only other marine the only other veteran up there uh and since then he has played it well saying i was a marine too but you don't see me screaming marine 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 is my only uh my only answers yeah i think donald trump has already also made the calculation that jd vance is likely to have a pretty robust uh treasury or that is financial war chest I also think that's the case with Josh and Mike Gibbons, uh, but he's made that determination. I think he was influenced in part by Don Jr. And I think, again, he has a really good instinct for who can win and who what plays. And I think what he sees is a young guy in J.D. Vance. He's a young guy. And we're, again, blessed to have you know another young guy in uh, Josh Mandel. But uh, he, he's a young guy who's going to be around for the fight for a while and has the smarts to navigate 
Washington, D.C. from the very beginning. I do think that. Uh, what I've seen of him impresses me as a guy who is sophisticated beyond his age, beyond his years, as they say. So, um, look, um, you know, I'm uh, not that anybody wants me to endorse him or anything, but I don't endorse during during primaries. I just think we're very fortunate to have so many qualified and very good and outstanding candidates. J.D. Vance is now is in the top top tier you know uh, before he was lagging behind it was a gibbons mandel race and um the trump endorsement now we will see what the next polls show all right but a trump endorsement he rose a little he rose a little in the last one before the endorsement uh in fact i think if memory serves i gotta remember it's about two weeks ago the most recent poll that came out in that race showed him in like a virtual three-way tie at the top or actually maybe in a two-way tie with mandel with gibbons uh starting to slip a little down into the third place spot so he already had a bit of a surge according to the last poll now it might been might have been one of those um, you know candidate paid for polls i don't have the specifics on it but he was already rising a bit and now with the trump endorsement obviously we'll see you know what kind of weight that carries uh, because you know i didn't get a chance to ask jd everything that i wanted to pete about uh, the critics so i'll bring this up with you um, Tom Zawistowski, whom I know you know uh, as the mm-hmm. leader of the We the People Convention in Ohio, which represents thousands of conservatives uh, across this state, he <clears throat> he put a press release out uh, almost immediately after this this endorsement was given, and he, it was blistering. "Quote: It looks like President Trump is still listening to the same establishment advisors who staffed his administration with rhinos, who then undermined his presidency." Last week, he endorsed ultra-liberal Dr. Oz for Senate in Pennsylvania, and now he has endorsed big tech, bought and paid for, repentant, never-Trumper J.D. Vance, who is only 38 years old and, as I write this, has not, to my knowledge, spoken to a single Trump-supporting group in the state of Ohio during his campaign. He went on to ask President Trump or to demand that President Trump revoke that endorsement. Now, that's one guy. That's Tom, who leads the We the People Convention, but his, his organization... We the People has thousands of Ohio members in it. So I wonder what weight does a Trump endorsement carry if it's for a guy that true conservatives have have branded as the, um, you know, the rhino in this in this field. I think the Trump endorsement is important, but I don't think it's dispositive. What it's done is it Walt J.D. Vance to the top tier. He's going to be in a three way race, as you indicated, with Josh and with Mike Gibbons. So um, that's what it's done. But I look. Tom's Tom has got his pulse on, uh, or his finger on the pulse of conservatives in Ohio. I don't know of anyone, maybe other than you, who has a better understanding of where the conservative sentiment lies in this in this uh, uh, state. And he speaks for me too. I mean, there's part of me that's you know why is President Trump weighing in on something like this? We were puzzled because we thought J.D. Vance had been a critic of Trump. Um, and, you know, we have two other alternatives in, in Mandel and Gibbons. I do think that uh, the Trump endorsement, however, is going to be an important factor in this race, obviously. We'll see what happens. It, it comes, you know, just a few weeks before the um, uh, vote, and a lot of that sentiment, that voting sentiment, has solidified already. People have made judgments uh, at least with respect to the front runners, and while the Trump endorsement 
is going to get attention, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to persuade people who, for example, decided that they are Gibbons people or uh, Mandel people. It's going to sway those who are undecided, no doubt about that, and it's going to be a huge boost. And the question is, is how, many of, yeah, how many of those right. are there is the real right. question. How many people and have already this, made up their you know, mind? The guy, so, guys like, a, well, although Donald Trump's endorsement is gigantic, don't discount the value of Tom's uh, uh, response to that, because a oh, lot of people, a lot of people, have not just follow Tom, but they've got that instinct also. You and I go out and we speak to these folks. We know who yep. they are. Uh, this is, you know, Ohio is blessed with being an extremely good, smart, conservative state, and they aren't necessarily going to be persuaded simply because Donald Trump's made an endorsement if they're otherwise skeptical of that individual. And we've got good alternatives. Totally agree. I'll be speaking to a group tonight in Lakewood that is just like that, and we'll see what they have to say about it uh, uh, tonight. Okay, a little short one here, just two minutes before the bottom of the hour. Peter Kersenow is with us. He will be with us after the bottom of the hour as well. So, um, Pete, if you were advising, not that you're a political consultant or anything, but you, you are politically astute. If you were advising Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons right now, the two closest competitors with J.D. Vance, now that they didn't get the endorsement they wanted, and J.D., a guy that they don't view as being as conservative as they are, got the Trump endorsement, how do you approach these last two weeks before election day? Well, the best way is to uh, use the Tom Zwetkowski approach. That is, there's a significant percentage of primary voters who are skeptical, still remain skeptical of J.D. Vance. And so the question is, is he going to have a kind of Romney approach to things? I, I heard your question related to Romney. It's an outstanding one. And he gave a, a good response with respect to Romney. I mean, you know, I voted for Romney in 2012. I didn't expect him to turn out the way he did. And it's been a gigantic disappointment, too, which is an understatement. But uh, he has to confirm to the electorate that he is not going to follow the same trajectory as a Romney. Um, We have seen too many times among Republicans, individuals making nice conservative sounds, and then when they get to Washington, they get Potomac fever, and they start acting more like, well, I'm not going to mention any names, but you know who they are. uh, You know, we use the the Appalachian rhino. Uh, That's being very charitable in my estimation. They undercut conservatives. It's so frustrating. We've seen this for decades now. We're not being fooled anymore. Again, take the, you know, H.L. Mencken approach. You know, you've got to spit on your hands, hoist the black flag, and start slitting some throats. We're at that moment today. Maybe in the 1990s or the early 2000s, you could have a Romney kind of approach, but we're at that tipping point I've been talking about. Now, civilizations have a tipping point that usually lasts for decades, if not centuries, but we're at that tipping point right now. We don't have time for any more mistakes stakes along the Romney lines. J.D. Vance better be true to his alleged conservatism, otherwise game over. And I think that can be exploited by a, because um, we have so many examples of that happening, again, with McCain, with a Romney, you know, you go down the list, there's so many of these individuals who portrayed themselves as being conservatives and carrying the water for conservatives in a reliable fashion, and then they get to Washington, and they start butting up with the Ted Kennedys of the world when he was alive, or the Schumers of the world, and uh, undercut conservatives, and we become so disgusted by this. So that's an opportunity for them. I, I would say to, you know, Josh and, and Tom, they don't need my advice. I'm sure they're thinking about this also, because they know there's a deep vein of skepticism about J.D. Vance. Uh, you know, he's quelled some of that uh, with your interview and obviously the Trump endorsement, but there still remains skepticism. Attack it. 
Peter Kersenow analyzing it for us, and I'm glad he brought up Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer wants to eliminate all student loan debt. One of the issues Kersenow will address with me next, AM 1420, The Answer. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 1038 now. We continue with Peter Kirsten. Now, my apologies, by the way. I mistakenly declared that John Stover would be with me at 1035 this morning. Obviously, Peter Kirsten now takes us until around 1050 every day, so, or every Tuesday, rather. So uh, John Stover is actually scheduled with us from the Ohio Valley Voters Organization at uh, 1110 this morning. So that was always the case. I just misspoke, so my apologies for that. Uh, quick note, if you missed the interview with J.D. Vance, exclusive uh, one-on-one the first time since he has been the Trump-endorsed candidate, it is now posted at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. You'll also see a couple of other uh, terrific news stories there, including the first shot that I have seen of an entire cabin full of passengers smiling and cheering uh, full face free. Full face free. Thank goodness for that Trump judge, appointed judge, uh, who lifted the ridiculous mask mandates ordered by Joe Biden for public transportation. So these passengers just look so happy to be breathing free air again for the first time. So check those out at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. And Peter Kersenow, the next story I want to talk to you about, well, actually, do you have any thoughts on uh, on what the judge did? Uh, finally declaring that the CDC completely uh, outgrew its authority, if you will. That's probably a poor choice of verbs, but uh, they did not have the authority to keep this uh, this uh, public transportation mask mandate in place, particularly since the science wasn't with them uh, from the very beginning in terms of the, the mask's effectiveness. Well, I always refrain from commenting upon decisions that I haven't read. I haven't read this one. I'm in favor of it substantively, obviously. I'm, I, my sense is it's probably the correct decision because the CDC has overstepped its bounds. It's got, you know, ask yourself where these administrative agencies, and this is another debate uh, that, you know, we've had and I've, I've had for a long time with a lot of other very smart scholars as to the administrative state and how it has supplanted so much of the functions of the uh, legislative branch. And that's supplanted because that's what the legislative branch has done. They've ceded authority to these agencies, and that's a dictatorship. You know, these people are unaccountable. They're, uh, they're unelected, and so there's not much we can do there. But, you know, there's, um, there's a whole debate, and we should have a show on this, Bob, where we talk about the growth of the administrative state and its threat to liberty. Well, and you know what, that's what this has always been about for me and for so many others. You know, I mean, first of all, there is the science. Let's have the debate on what works and what doesn't work and so forth. But regardless of what the science says, it still has to be up to the individual. It still has to be liberty. You have to make up your own mind, which is Absolutely. what each and every one of these carriers, the airlines, and I just read uh, about the, uh, uh, the train services, they have all said this is now optional. And that's all we wanted. We don't want to say you can't wear a mask, but stop telling us we have to wear a mask. Let's let everybody decide. If I'm a little 
little uncomfortable in public about germs, whether they be COVID germs or whether they be, you know, uh, allergy germs or allergies don't, uh, don't uh, actually project germs. But you understand the point, colds or what have you. If you're worried about it, wear something. Go ahead. Wear five of them. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, don't make right, everything exactly. else. And, and, Bob, one other thing that I've said to a lot of your, your uh, listeners when I've spoken to them in person is the administrative state not only has its just kind of usurped so many of the powers of the legislative branch, and to a certain extent the executive branch, although it is, you know, nominally the executive branch. And that is that the administrative state is almost uniformly on the left. The people that populate all those different agencies are not just Democrats. I mean, they're usually pretty much hard leftists. Now, I, I will tell you that back in the day when I was a member of the National Labor Relations Board, I was blessed to have a staff of 25 lawyers to support me. And, you know, would can do research and things like that, um, all but one of those individuals was on the left. And they were very fine people, but their perspectives were uniformly that of those on the left. So it is just a leviathan. The, the ship of state is huge and moving in a leftward direction. We've got a cabinet. Uh, very well said, uh, Peter Kirsten. Now, Pete, let, let me move on to this question because I've been wanting to talk to you about this for some time. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, uh, has declared that Joe Biden is now closer than ever to wiping out and canceling student debt, closer than ever before. He claimed Wednesday of last week um, that the pause on federal student loan payments isn't enough and that the president is, is, is closer than ever before. Quote, I have talked personally to the president on this issue a whole bunch of times. I have told, told him that this is more important than just about anything else that he can do on his own. Um, this follows Bernie Sanders, who continues to, to deliver one-sentence tweets that say, cancel all student debt now. Pete, what am I missing? I, I mean, I'm going to you, look, you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer, and as, as a lawyer, a lot of lawyers switch from prosecution to defense attorneys and vice versa. You've got to be able to play both sides here. So let me ask you to advocate for the devil and, and explain this to me. In what world is it okay or encouraged, and what possible benefit is there uh, to tell people who borrow thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that you know what we're not going to hold you to it? Your signature on that lo- on that loan uh, on that dotted line doesn't count for anything. You are absolved of your debt, Peter. I, I'm trying to grasp it, and I cannot. Yeah. Play devil's advocate uh, here, please. Yeah, well, look, the, the devil's rhetorical skills, let alone my rhetorical skills, I don't think are a match for explaining <laughs> this lunacy. Everyone knows how transparent it is, and there's a couple of things at play, all of which have to do with democratic power. That is, the Democrats are in a horrible state, in a horrible state right now. It could change, but I doubt it seriously. Things look like they're only going to get worse in terms of the electoral prospects over the next several months. And so they need, they've seen the polls, and you've seen them too in the last week, has, have been devastating, not just overall, but particularly among the young, how they have switched from Biden and Democrats. They may not have all gone over to the Republican side, but they are disillusioned. They're not going to be voting for Democrats. And with that cohort of the electorate, Democrats are in bad shape, but they're also getting killed in terms of the Hispanic vote. And surprisingly, they're only getting about 60% of the black male vote. All those things augur really bad electoral prospects for the Democrats. But this is basically a bribe. Uh, they're saying to 
students and those who are helping them with their funding in terms of the parents and stuff, they're hoping that this will convince a certain critical mass of them to go to the polls and pull the lever for Democrats. In addition to that, it is a wealth transfer, I- transfer issue. That is, obviously, you can't simply cancel the debt. The federal government's going to have to pony up the money to pay the universities and whatever places, you know, whatever, if trade schools, whomever else, that... Um, to whom the debt is owed. And so there's going to be a transference of wealth that goes from people who went to trade schools, welding schools, and stuff like that that weren't supported, uh, and the rest of us, to, generally speaking, fairly wealthy students or families of students who are going to these colleges and have decided, you know, we're going to be scuff laws. We made a promise at the outset. We knew going in with our eyes open that it was going to take X amount of dollars to get an education so I can become a productive member of society. Yet now we are lobbying Democrats to allow us to Welsh on that, and the Democrats are going to step up because they need our votes. That money goes intermediately to the students and families, but eventually is going to end up in the pockets of the Harvards and the Yales and all of the, the schools that just coincidentally, 90 to 95% on average of their employees and faculty members, professors, all vote for Democrats and who issue papers and take stances that all favor Democrats. So this is, again, scratching the back of Democrats for the purpose of enhancing the Democratic vote and lining pockets and rewarding those who have been loyal acolytes of the Democratic Party. Um, what, what about those who have been loyal acolytes of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. who paid their loans off five years ago? Exactly right. What about those who We're paid them off 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right. or in our cases, much longer than that? It was hard. It took a lot of my monthly budget to go to those loan payments, to, to send those back. Um, and, and, and I think I want to say, let's say I graduated 1990, yada, yada, yada. I think it took me 16 years or so before I got them all paid right. back. And Pete, yep. what about us? Where's my retroactive check? Uh, how come I was forced to do that? And how come? And, and moreover, because this money is going to have to be replenished somewhere. Why does the kid who said I can't afford a hundred and fifty thousand dollar four year education, so I'm going to welding school, and now I'm working my tail off and I'm getting my paychecks? Why does some of my money have to come out of that to go pay for the kid who did, who yeah. isn't doing yeah. anything with it? I mean, I, Precis- it's just a fundamental fairness it, it, thing here it, that I. It can't. really is precisely right. What the Democrats are banking on is they get that short-term hit by cancellation of the debt, but there's going to be significant, and I'll use the most charitable term, resentment from those of us who did the right thing, those who saved and scrimped and sent our kids to college, and those who those of us who sent ourselves to college. Uh, those people are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, we did what was supposed." to be done. We did what we were what was asked of us. And now a bunch of people are being waved in, they're getting these debts excused. It's just fundamentally unfair is too light of a description of it. It is wrong. It is it's not American. You don't do that. And it really destroys the work ethic also. What other things are we going to be relieving? And what we're seeing is when you listen to some of these people when they're being interviewed is they have an expectation, uh, almost an entitlement 
mentality when it comes to this, as if where is the federal government? They should be paying for all these things. And these people are taking basket-weaving 101 that doesn't contribute whatsoever to society or psychology 202, no disrespect to psychologists, but give me a welder any single day of the world, a uh, week. These guys are doing what's necessary to sustain the United States of America in the fashion it had been in the past, and they did it the good, old-fashioned American way. They paid their own way and didn't ask for handouts. Uh, this, this is, let's, let's call it what it is. It's un-American. We don't do this kind of stuff. We don't, this is just something that's going to continue to dig a grave for the American ethos and the work ethic. Wrong, wrong, wrong on all counts. And I think it's not going to work. First of all, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but second of all, if it did happen, I think that it would redound poorly to the, I think there are they think it's going to help. I think it's going to hurt them badly. Well, they think it's going to help them in November for obvious reasons, that every person over the age of 18 who's in college is going to say Democrats. They're going to stave off the red wave by voting for the Democrats because they're the ones who just did this for us. If they do this before November, this is their belief, and they may have something, too. And by the way, I love that you just said, let's call it what it is. It's un-American. And, and since this is what the Democrats will do and want to do, I think you've just uh, illustrated very clearly that Democrats are not American. And I'm sorry to be as blunt about that, but if you support this, you are not American, and you're right, Pete. Go back to H.O. Mencken again. You know, it's time to spit <laughs> on our hands, hoist the black flag, and start splitting some throats. That's where we are in America today, and we can't. I, look, Bob, you and I have talked long enough that I try to be as circumspect as possible. I try not to be histrionic when it comes to using appellations related to, you know, my opponents. But let's, when we say un-American, think of all of the policy prescriptions that Democrats have issued, the major ones at the national level, and then we can go to state and local. But when you examine them closely, ask yourself which one of those are in the American interest as opposed to party interest, as opposed to ideological interest. They are doing things that are manifestly harming America and destroying it. Everything from the crime, you know, defund the police, to the border, to... Um, Afghanistan, which again, I, I'm still amazed that we aren't perpetually apoplectic about what happened in Afghanistan. It, it's just extraordinary. All these things they're doing. And with respect to, I know you're having John Stover, phenomenal guy, and I don't know if you're going to be talking to him about what's going on in our schools with respect to the trans education. I mean, the fact we that are. so you, many are you, schools, are you aware of InfoHio, the organization InfoHio? I don't know if I that have. Has, me, it, yeah, I, that, that is used by numerous school boards in the state of Ohio and really across the country. Pete, InfoHio is a far-left organization that has high, very, very strong influence on curricula and on resources, uh, online and textual resources. And if you click a few buttons in the right direction, they will access hardcore porno pornography for students right there on the InfoHio website. John Stover testified before the Ohio Board of Education last week about it. That's what he's coming on to talk about. Pete, it's right in that same wheelhouse. John is smart. He's a warrior, and he's on one of the more critical issues. You know, John and I have worked together, as you know, with respect to critical race theory here in Ohio and elsewhere. And John has been all over this for a number of years. It's getting worse. I think a lot of parents are starting to have their eyes opened. It happened a little bit during the pandemic. But now we're seeing things that, frankly, are they're immoral. They're disgusting. Only a couple of years ago, people who had advocated for this would be ending up in jail. I mean, this, this is incredible what's going on. People need to be aware of what's going on with our children. And I've said it before, it's bizarre 
that there is this impetus, there's, there's this seemingly aggressive instinct on the part of the educational establishment to want to talk to kindergartners, first graders, and second graders who are not their own children about sex. As I've said before, we are currently 39th in math. Let's put aside the moral issue, okay, which we shouldn't ever put aside. That should be the number one issue. But the fact that we can't even teach them one plus one equal two, and we're concentrating on whether or not they should be taking puberty blockers and not telling parents about it. Um, again, spit on your hands, hoist the black flag, start slitting some throats. John will do it for you. Peter Kersenow always does it for us. Peter, thank you, my friend. Great commentary this morning, as every week. But we really appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Take care, Bob. Uh, thank you, Peter Kersenow. Yeah, John Stover is going to be on with us coming up, as we just mentioned, at about 1110. We're going to find out the reality uh, of what I just said. John will tell you all about it and uh, exactly why it is so dangerous and why they, he and others are petitioning the Ohio School Board to break any ties whatsoever with Info Ohio, the organization, and, and to talk about the threat that it poses for our kids. Okay, 1058, Shorty here before the top of the hour. John Stover, Ohio Value Voters, coming up after the top of the hour. Going to talk about what's going on in your kids' schools. The state, Ohio, or excuse me, the Ohio State Board of Education um, is listening, but will they take action when John Stover and others speak and present factual, not opinions, not, you know, somebody's. Uh, description of what they are, but factual information about some of the horrifically inappropriate things that are being your kids are being exposed to uh, in their public schools. So we're going to talk to uh, John Stover about that. If you missed my interview, <clears throat> exclusive interview with J.D. Vance, one-on-one for the first time as a uh, and a Trump-endorsed candidate from this morning, it's available now on my website, the command, companion to this radio show. It's alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Check it out when you get the opportunity. And share it, if you would, so people can decide for themselves. Are they going to support the Trump-endorsed candidate, or are they going to support their own candidate based on uh, their own decision-making? All right, let's get a call in from Charlie in Westlake. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. All right, Charlie didn't think he was going to get on, so Charlie bailed. Charlie, probably a good call by you, because i got 30 seconds for you. You weren't going to have much time to talk. So I'll tell you what. We'll go to our news. We'll talk to John Stover after the news. Then we'll take Charlie's call and everybody else that is waiting at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Hour 3 of Always Right Radio coming up. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three on the way now, eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 19th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. If you just tuned in, you missed a lot. 
You missed about um, three good segments with personnel. You missed a tremendous one-on-one, 30-minute segment almost with J.D. Vance, the Trump-endorsed Senate candidate. If you want to hear either one of those, you're going to be able to hear it at alwaysright.us. The Vance interview is up right now at alwaysright.us. I'd prefer you not go listen to it at this moment because I want you to keep listening to what we're doing live. But save that clip and share that, if you would, on your social media so people can make up their own minds about uh, the Trump-endorsed candidate here. Now, before I go to my next guest also, a little breaking news. You may have heard uh, the interviews uh, that I did earlier this week. I talked with Frank LaRose yesterday uh, about uh, the uh, Elections Commission lawsuit. A lawsuit was filed against the Ohio Board of Elections, or rather the uh, uh, Elections Commission, for not expediting the hearing on the allegations against the Joe Blystone for Governor campaign about illegal um, uh, contributions and uh, the violation of several campaign finance laws. And they were not going to, the Elections Commission was not going to expedite this. So that lawsuit was filed, and apparently it worked, because I just received word that they will now hold an expedited hearing on the complaints against Blystone this Thursday. The lawsuit appears to have worked. It's a probable cause hearing, assuming they find probable cause, and of course they are going to. The letter from the uh, Secretary of State's office, Frank LaRose, laid out in minute detail all of the allegations against Blystone, determining that he needs to repay $101,000 worth of contributions now and re- uh, respond to allegations of another 130000 uh, in very, very short order. And this all matters because we're voting for governor in two weeks, literally two weeks from today. So they did finally decide to expedite this. If they find probable cause, that hearing should be scheduled within 10 days, which would be by the Monday before the primary. So there's your update on that. And I would in- continue now to call for Joe Blystone to do the right thing and for his supporters to encourage him to do the right thing, and that is to step away from a race he cannot win, particularly given all of these controversies that would come up in any kind of a general election. Step away and unite behind one candidate who can get rid of Mike DeWine, and that would be Jim Renacci, and that would be what I would ask Joe Blystone and his supporters to do right now. All right, now let's get back to the matter at hand. I mentioned InfoHio online at InfoHio.org. The reason I mention them, I have no interest whatsoever in promoting them, but I saw a portion of testimony and Q&A held by John Stover, president of Ohio Value Voters at the Ohio State Board of Education last week, in which he was discussing with those board members what InfoHio is, what influence it has on Ohio public schools, and why that is so dangerous for our kids. And John Stover is kind enough to join us now to talk about exactly what that means. John, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for having me on today. I don't know how you and the rest of the team at Ohio Value Voters manages to do everything that you do. I mean, between, you know, the politics, you guys are out there making endorsements in the Senate and the government, uh, governor's race. You're very actively involved in local issues, uh, in Northeast Ohio. Then you're down there in Columbus weighing in on the, uh, State Board of Education and getting all this information. You guys, you guys really put your, you know, your, your talk where your walk is, uh, John. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that. Well, Bob, thank you very much. Uh, but also, let me just say that uh, we certainly, uh, our organization, appreciates uh, your uh, your voice, um, your program. Uh, matter of fact, I was just listening uh, before I came on here to uh, you and uh, 
Peter, and uh, both of you are uh, just patriots and patriots and fine Americans. I mean, you really are. And uh, I was about ready to call in and yield my time to Peter, so you could go on a little <laughs> bit longer here. Well, <laughs> but uh, but no, but but no, we uh, you know we we feel that it's a a mission. You know, we feel that uh, it's a ministry. It's something that God has uh, led us to do, and we really believe it's important, and especially when it comes to uh, the war on children that we see in society today. And this is just. One more, one more area that uh, this war is taking place. Uh, you know, we know about CRT, we know about mm-hmm. comprehensive sex education, we know about social emotional learning. Well, you know, here now we have uh, Info Ohio that's uh, involved with their part in providing hardcore pornographic material, and I, you know, set the material to you, Bob, and you, know, you had a chance to review it. Yeah, and I regret asking for it <laughs> because then I had to actually follow the steps through it to see what's there. But, but John, let's um, let's let's give a little background here. Tell uh, our listening audience what infohio.org is, and tell us what role they play or what partnership they have uh, with the uh, um, public schools in the state of Ohio. Yes, well, you know, Info Ohio, Bob, is a uh, organization that uh, came about in. 1989. It's a combination between the uh, the um, uh, libraries as well as the uh, the uh, schools in the state of Ohio, and uh, the uh, uh, what what has basically transpired is that the uh, um, you know this portal has been provided by many school districts relative to getting into Info Ohio, they're a uh, digital library, and they're supposed to be providing information as relates to learning. And, um, uh, you know, many states, they use the same third-party vendors that provide these databases. And uh, there's nobody within Info Ohio that's vetting any of the information that is being provided uh, to children as young as first, second, third grade. You know, the question was asked whenever I presented this material to the uh, state board last week, a week ago today. I said, well, you know, how, how young can, you know, children be to uh, gain access? And basically my comment was is that uh, depends upon their level of expertise when it comes to using the Internet. But this material is out there, and, and it is, uh, once again, hardcore porn videos, you know, we uh, I did have a uh, conversation with the uh, board president mm-hmm. the uh, following day communication uh, by way of uh, text, and then also I had a uh, actual uh, conversation, voice conversation with uh, Senator Andrew Brenner, who is the uh, chairman of the uh, Senate uh, Education Committee, and he is concerned. He uh, basically says, you know, uh, I may have to have a hearing on this. I hope that he does. And I'm, I'm sure that he will. And then uh, also, uh, it's my understanding that the uh, state board, they plan on also looking at putting together a subcommittee to review this further. also had a uh, conversation, a brief one, with a director of uh, Info Ohio. And basically, my comment to them is that this, these portals that you provide to children to get into this material, these databases, VPNs, et cetera, uh, not to get into all the technical, um, yeah. you know, data processing, but, but, but all of these things that you're providing, you have to eliminate the links. You can't put up some type of which they tried to put a Band-Aid onto this thing, you know, and uh, window dressing, Bob, and they try to say, well, we're going to, you know, put a warning label up and let, uh, you know, let the child know that, you know, you're getting into this material. No, that's not going to uh, that's an invitation be uh, acceptable. To a kid. 
to a curious kid in an overly sexualized culture, sexualized culture already, with everything they can see on their cable or on their, you know, their their uh, streaming networks and so on and so forth, and websites all over the place. Tell, putting a warning label saying there is sexually explicit material here is an invitation. It's it's a carrot. Go ahead and click this. You want to see it? Want to see what it's all about? How can they think that that's going to be uh, effective in in in, in stopping? Absolutely right. And, and, you know, and something else that uh, is very important, uh, Bob, which I provided you as well, the Ohio Revised Code under uh, Chapter 2907, Sex Offenses, you know, Section 2907.31, your listeners can go to, it's re- relatively easy to uh, find, just uh, do a search on Ohio Revised Code, Section 2907.31, it's Disseminating Manner har- Harmful to the Juveniles. I mean, this is a uh, felony. This is a felony, and... Uh, you know, some of the things that I urge the um, the board, the state board to do, uh, and I'm hoping that they do, and that one of them was to contact uh, Attorney General right. Dave Yost and require that his office pursue this criminal action against him for Ohio. You know, this is something that they, uh, you know, needs to be, you know, you know, this has been a great disappointment. You know, whether we were fighting the uh, a few years ago, we had a nine-and-a-half-year-old boy dressed as a girl dancing in a bar receiving tips from grown men in Lancaster, Ohio. And I remember we it went well. to uh yeah, we went to Dave Yost and uh, wanted him to do something there. He did nothing. Did nothing at all. Uh, extreme disappointment. But there's a number of things that the uh, state board is able to do and uh you know, I went to the uh, uh went to Hudson uh school district uh last year about 6 7 months ago mm-hmm. and uh went to their school board meeting and uh, held up the same material and handed it to the superintendent, the board members, also a principal that was sitting right there next to me. And he looked at a few pages, Bob, and he uh, said, you know, I don't want to see any more of this. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, you don't want to see any more, but this is what, uh, you know, the children that that uh, is in your school is uh, being exposed to. So, you know, we are going to continue to press this matter with the General Assembly, with the state board. And, Bob, you are 100% correct in what you stated a few minutes ago. As far as I am concerned, in our organization, you know, we've come out and we've endorsed Jim Renacci for governor. Uh, our, our Governor DeWine has been an immense failure when it has come to some of these issues, where he could have taken a leadership role similar to uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida. You know, we are going to work diligently over the next two weeks to see that uh, Jim Renacci is our next governor. And, uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, just to add here, uh, Tom Zydakowski and I, we had a long conversation on Saturday. Uh, he's a uh, supporter of ours, and we're a supporter of his organization, We the People. And uh, we both uh, agreed that J.D. Vance was not the individual that uh, should have been selected uh, by President Trump. And uh, he is, uh, his organization is supporting, uh, of course, Mike Gibbons. We're supporting Josh Mandel and you know, we, uh, you know, we are uh, just give your viewers a heads up and a preview. Uh, we'll be coming out here, our organization, with the next day or two, uh, urging people in the state of Ohio to actually boycott the uh, event that uh, President Trump's having. But if they do decide to attend, you know, certainly need, they need to make their voice heard relative to uh, the displeasure they have with um, 
J.D. Vance being selected. Well, I know the Strongsville GOP is organizing a day-long event in uh, support of that, including a bus ride down to Delaware County for that uh, uh, for that uh, Trump event. And, uh, and of course, the Strongsville GOP has endorsed Josh as well. So uh, they're going yeah. down, and it may be to cheer for President Trump, but it may also be, as you say, to get in his ear about how they feel about his endorsement here, uh, that maybe it was the yes. wrong thing for him to do to endorse anybody and just let the people of Ohio decide for themselves how they want this whole thing to go. But John, if I may, I want to go back to the uh, earlier part of our conversation here, and you talked about the conversation with uh, the director of InfoHio, and that's Erica Clay, correct? Yes. So your conversation, you said you need to close these links. And, uh, you know, she said or they said that uh, they're going to put up these, you know, warning signs and say, hey, don't go in here. Um, what, what was your response to that? Did, did you say that's not good enough? And did they say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll act on it more forcefully, we'll remove them? Or is it, did they basically give you the brush off, John? Well, you know, uh, Bob, uh, basically when I uh, brought this up to her, uh, they had already, within uh, 24 hours, they started putting some of these things into place. Other material they removed completely. Um, but I, I stated to her, I said, look, I said, you know, this is something that should not, you know, we had one of the board members, and just to, you know, uh, get back to your question, Bob, but uh, I had one of the board members, a uh, Dr. Collins, whenever I prov- provided my testimony last week, and she, in fact, said, she said, you know, she said, uh, there's a lot of rabbit holes that somebody can go down relative to, uh, you know, the Internet. And I said, there absolutely is. But you know what? Taxpayers do not need to be funding those rabbit holes, which is another important point. This is a taxpayer-funded entity, Info Ohio, and we don't need to have our tax dollars being spent on this. But I I said to the director of Info Ohio, I said, look, I said, nothing short of eliminating these links is going to be acceptable as far as our organization is concerned. And I firmly believe that if Jim Renacci has elected our next governor that we are going to see the leadership that we don't see in Governor DeWine and we do see in Governor DeSantis. And this is something that I firmly believe that, uh, you know, he will get involved with the shutdown. Well, I'm very hopeful that the Board of Education will take action regardless of who the governor is here because, um, and, and I know that's why you made that presentation to them. Uh, you know, it's it's funny for them to say there's a lot of rabbit holes in 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 the age before the internet, which isn't that long ago for people who don't realize. Our, you know, young Gen Zers don't know life without the internet, but but many of us do. Um, there was there were plenty of places to access Penthouse and Playboy magazines for minors. Yes, but you know what? You know where they weren't? They weren't on the magazine rack in the school library. All right. There are some places where you're not supposed to provide those things and you can't just say, well, they have access to it elsewhere. So we might as well put it here, too. And that's what they're doing now with these websites with click through links to take them to hardcore pornography pages to say that there's a lot of places online where kids can get this anyway doesn't mean it's appropriate for our schools to make it available to them. That's exactly right, Bob. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would only uh, urge uh, your listeners to, uh, you know, certainly go to uh, our organization, org and protectohiochildren.net, which is something we're going to continue to um, lead the uh, battle upon. And, uh, you know, we uh, urge, um, you know, residents in the state of Ohio. I mean, 
it, it, it is just uh, it, it's just unfathomable to think that any parent, and this is not political, this isn't Democrat, Republican, Independent. I mean, this is just decency, you know. And regardless of what political persuasion and cloth you're cut from, nobody, nobody really wants to see their children exposed to this type of material and have the innocence of their child stolen from them by a uh, an organization like Info Ohio. Completely concur. John Stover, I really appreciate you coming on and shining a light on this. I want people to reach out. You gave me some contacts for people, uh, those that are stakeholders regarding Info Ohio, including board member uh, Brendan Shea and uh, board president uh, uh, Charlotte McGuire. Um, yes. And and I want to give their numbers out. Um, I'm assuming this is for public, right? These are not, Doc, these aren't private numbers, right? These are their offices with the school board? Uh the, these are, uh, I believe, their cell phone numbers. Oh, I then believe. I won't do that. No, I will not dox someone to give out their private information. I'm sorry, I thought these were office numbers. I was going to give them so that people can reach out. So I will use those so that I can reach out myself then and try to get these folks on the air and encourage them to do the right thing with respect to what our kids are being exposed to. So I'm glad I checked with well, them. Well, I would, hey, Bob, Bob, I would strongly suggest uh, Charlotte McGuire she, as president. She has the mm-hmm. ability to uh, set up this subcommittee to, um, you know, to get into this uh, matter a little bit further and to uh, come up with some solutions to it. That will indeed be the approach, and I will reach out to her. So I will just encourage people then through the appropriate channels online uh, to find the Ohio Board of Education members and reach out to them, email them, do what you can do, call their public numbers, and tell them how you feel about this, because um, this is a a danger, a straight-up danger to what our kids are becoming. Over-sexualizing our children is going to be the death of our culture. And that is a war we simply yes. cannot we cannot afford to lose. Uh, and I concur, John Stover, that if we have a, an attentive governor like Jim Renacci, uh I think we can get a lot more done. And I think the board members and others would be able to pay a lot more attention to this. It is his urging. So I hope people keep that in mind when they go to vote on May 3rd. Okay, uh, John Stover, President of Ohio Value Voters. Thank you for all you do, John. We appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again. Thank you, Buck. God bless. Thank you, John. John Stover on AM 1420, The Answer. I'm going to take a time out here. We'll take it all the way to the news break, and then we'll take some more of your phone calls. 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. Right, 1136. Got uh, about a good 8-9 minutes left with you. Uh, we let Bill O'Reilly take it to the top of the hour, as you know. If you missed my interview with J.D. Vance this morning, here's just a little short snippet. J.D., this is one that, you know, the Internet is just always churning up new stuff, and this one is the first time I've seen this was yesterday. This was from a 2016 tweet, and I want to read just the last half of it where you wrote, Trump is the fruit of the party's collective neglect. I go back and forth between thinking Trump is a cynical a-hole like Nixon, who wouldn't be that bad and might even prove useful, or that he's America's Hitler. How's that for discouraging? J.D., it's, it's one thing to say I was disagreed with him on his policy. I disagreed with him on this, that, or the other thing then. And I have since, you know, uh, evolved my thinking. And I have repented for those things. And I, and I didn't mean those things. But 
the Hitler narrative is a little tougher to walk back, in my opinion. That's a hard thing to say about somebody. Um, can you give me anything on that? Well, I think repentant is the wrong way to think about it, Bob. I, I think, look, uh, you know, you could admit that you're wrong about something uh, and just be, you know, admit that, right? Admit that you change your mind. I think people are going to change their mind from time to time. What I think is so interesting about this is, you know, the left constantly drags up stuff that I said about Trump seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago, and tries to beat me over the head with it. I've got the president's endorsement. Uh, I've talked with the president about a lot of this stuff. Frankly, things that I said publicly uh, are, are out there and are worse than some of the things that I said privately. Uh, so I, I've had plenty of conversations with the president about this, and I think if he trusts me to put forward his agenda and he thinks that I'm the guy who actually believes this stuff and can deliver on this stuff, uh, I think ultimately that is what is most important. And the left, look, they're going to bring this stuff up, Bob, for the rest of my life, right? They're always going to bring up the fact that I had a very public conversion on probably the most important political figure of my lifetime. Uh, that is part of, you know, the game and politics these days. But I'm not going to hide from the fact that I changed my mind, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to apologize for it. At the end of the day, I was wrong. The president accepts it. I think a lot of voters accept it, and that's that. And that's going to be the question going forward, as I said to J.D., is will the voters accept it? Will the voters say, all right, President Trump has accepted the reversal on his opinions, uh, so why shouldn't I? I'll go ahead and support President Trump's hand-picked guy. That's up to you. 216-901-0945. Let's get a few more phone calls in here. We'll start with, um, oh, it's Lisa Woods in Medina. Good morning, Lisa. Hey, good morning. Hey, I wanted to jump in and make sure folks knew how to get a hold of their State Board of Education member. Um, it's pretty easy. You go to education.ohio.gov, and that takes you to the Department of Education's website. And then you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom right-hand corner where it says State Board of Education of Ohio, Charlotte McGuire, President. And then you click on that, and it might take a couple more clicks just to get to the um, board members. But we they have their um, contact listed in the phone number, and most of them are their cell phone numbers that they have listed. Very few of us could afford to go get a second phone. We uh, When I was on the State Board of Education, um, and and I know it's the same now. We don't have um, aides to help us or offices. We literally live off our phones and our computers and get to those meetings. So whatever's listed, and they're all listed, just, just click on them. You'll find President McGuire. You'll see uh, Brendan Shea and the rest of them on there. Lisa, I'm so glad you did that because uh, I, I just kind of told people go hunting and find it, and it's easily easy enough to find <laughs> if you do your searching. But it's good to get that, and uh, and I'm glad to hear you kind of echo uh, what we're talking about here too. Uh, you know, it's so important for people to be heard on this. Just like when you talk about your representatives in the state house, you got to talk about your representatives on the school board. It's one thing yep. to go to your local school board and make noise and do what you've got to do to get some answers and have some uh, some input into what your children learn, but to do it at the highest level of the education system in the state is just as important and like i said i did i thought there would be offices i didn't know that all these people lived <laughs> off of their cell phones i didn't want to give somebody's private cell phone for a uh for a bunch of listeners to call them and complain about what they're saying on the school board so uh we'll right. let people dig dig up what is listed on the official board state board website and if that's what if that's the number they have listed there then obviously that's where, where they expect to be reached right 
And also, uh, it's great to email them. When you email your, your board member to their government email, it becomes public record. So that shows that, hey, you know, they got this many uh, emails from people that were upset about the sexualization of our children. And that matters, especially when they're added up. So please consider emailing them as well. I think it's better than a phone call. Well, I appreciate that very much both ways, Uh, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'll see you on Saturday morning, okay? Boy, we're looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. So am I. Thank you, Lisa. It's going to be a big day. (laughs) It is. It's going to be a huge day all day, starting there. And thank you, Lisa Woods. Uh, Starting at the the Thirsty Cowboy in Medina, uh, where uh, McFan, Medina County Friends and Neighbors meeting will be held, and I'll be uh, the guest speaker there that day. There will also be candidates speaking that day and some other important things going on. Then everybody's boarding a bus to drive down to Delaware uh, County and see President Trump live at his uh, rally there. So it's going to be a huge day on Saturday, no doubt about that. Let's go to Joanne next. Hi, Joanne. You're on the air. Morning, Bob. Good morning. <laughs> Still undecided as far as the Senate race goes, and we, um, that's not why I called. You and Peter were talking about this relieving of all this college debt. Not yes. my original idea. I've heard it thrown out there. Let these colleges with these giant endowments finance these kids. If their education is so quality, they should be able to get a return on their investment. Why are the banks doing it, and why are the American taxpayers going to suffer for it? Well, the last part you know, is the only I mean, part I have on. a problem with. The last part, the taxpayers should not suffer for it, but banks Absolutely. should be able to loan it. Uh, and, and as far as the, the, the universities, they do to, a, to, a, to an extent. They offer grants that are indeed just what you said, you know, kind of financing it to make it more affordable to, to, to the students. But there's always going to have to be a family contribution or a student contribution unless you're a full scholarship, uh, full scholarship academian or, uh, or, um, or academic, I guess I should say. Let or the an colleges, athlete. Impl- you know, provide them the loan. Let them pay the school back. If their education is so great, let these, you know, and they're going to provide these kids the means to pay it back. Let them put their money where yeah, they want. Yeah, but it's you know, I mean, that's not how the banking <laughs> system works, and you know that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I just bought a truck, and I didn't, I didn't finance it from Ford. Ford didn't loan me the money, and I have to well, pay Ford sure. back. You know, the bank did. Uh, you know, they. Well, I, can't I, I get, the, I get so, the, the financial system, but what I'm saying yeah. is, is these schools aren't backing it up either. You know, no, no. They're the, charging well, but you know who's, you know who's going to get screwed tuition. on this though. The, the, you know, it, it, it is the banks that are going to get screwed on this. And when they don't get their millions and millions or billions and billions of dollars back that they loaned out for these educations, guess what they're going to do? They're going to end up raising all of the rates on all of us. Uh, you know, right. they're going to they're going to lower even further their their actual savings and CD rates and so on and so forth. But they're going to make it more expensive for us to bank there because they get their money back somehow. Um, we all remember what. And thank you for the call, Joanne. I got a jet here. Uh, we all remember what happened, uh, you know, in, in uh, during the, the, the uh, Bush administration. You know, banks don't get their loans back that they give. Banks go under, and when banks go under, they can't afford to lend to whom? The least creditworthy borrowers. It's going to be the impoverished people and the lower middle class people who are going to get locked out. They're not going to be able to borrow money because the banks don't have, don't have any money to lend. We've seen this happen time and time again. You cannot just say we're not letting these uh, students, no forcing these students to pay back the money that the banks lent them because that will crush uh, the lending industry, which essentially will crush American business and American economy. All right, that's all the time we've got. Listen to the J.D. Vance interview in full at alwayswrite.us. Also, the Kersenow and Stover conversations. So until tomorrow, let's go, Brandon. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.